0: Hello and welcome. Hello, my name is Adam Curtis and I am the curate here. And if you have a Bible, then please do keep it open at 1 Samuel. I actually do not have a Bible, which will be very useful. (laughs) So let's keep it open at 1 Samuel, chapter 8, would be good. Um, And as we come to uh, meditate on God's Word together, let us uh, come in prayer. Ah, dearest God, we thank you and we praise you that you are a speaking God, that you see us uh, when we are lost, you see us in the darkness, and that you have sent your son to find us and to bring us home, that you guide us to yourself again and again, and that as we come to your word, we do not read of uh, stories of just simply old and long ago and unimportant, but we read Your living word to us today. Uh, We pray, Father God, as we come to it, will you draw us to yourself and build us up, so that we might be sent out for you and for your glory, in the name of Jesus, Amen. Amen. So, one Samuel chapter eight. What do you pray for in a crisis? What do you pray for in a crisis? Now, the question is not, do you pray in a crisis? Because the assumption is that that happens. Um, I, uh, I used to commute uh, from Tunbridge Wells up to London Bridge a lot when there was a surprising number of like, terrorist attacks on, on London Bridge in central London. And, and it was interesting to, to witness again and again, um, tragically again and again, that, that prayer was where our secular agnostic society turned to. It was all over London Bridge. Um, So so when people are in a crisis, the assumption is not do they pray, they do. I I forgot to look it up, but there's actually some stat about the number of uh, uh, people who claim to be atheists when they have to go and do an exam, how many of them end up praying. It's surprisingly high for those who claim not even to believe that there's a God there. When we hit a crisis, we pray. The question is, what do we pray when we hit a crisis? What do we pray? And there are so many different crises we can hit in our lives. Maybe you're, you're going through one right now. Or maybe you've just been through one. Or maybe these are just some, some words for the future. But there's so many different crises we can go through. We might be thinking uh, in our current sort of uh, moment of a financial sort of crisis with energy bills going up and, and costs of petrol going up and food prices going up. And that's really starting to make us ask some serious questions. There might be that financial sort of crisis. We might be thinking of a, of, um, a relational sort of crisis. Maybe strife with the people we work with. Or strife with uh, with our husbands or our wives, or strife with our children or grandchildren or our neighbours or our friends, and there might be some relational sort of crisis which is we're starting to feel that the weight of it. What do we pray for? Or maybe we're going for a, a spiritual crisis at, at present, or so present, or we've been through a spiritual crisis. Because I, I know that that feeling. Sometimes I feel like I could um, go and be a missionary in Iran. And sometimes I feel like I don't even want my neighbours to know I'm a Christian. It's, 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 it's ridiculous, really, the spiritual crisis we can sometimes find ourselves in, that we feel like we're walking so closely with the Lord and we're trusting him entirely, and sometimes we just feel like is He even listening to our prayers. The question is, what do we pray for in that time of crisis? And what does, what does God have to say to us on this topic? Well, we land today... In uh, in one Samuel uh, chapter eight, and they are in a crisis. They're in a crisis. So, a bit of a bit of an overview. We've now come to the part of Scripture where, where God has made all his his promises to to, to Abraham back in in Genesis about a people and a and a land and and being under God's rule and blessing, and we're starting to see all those those promises from Genesis being partially fulfilled. We have. The land of Canaan and, and the people of God are, are in the land. And they're under his rule and they're under his, uh, under his blessing. So we're seeing this partial, sort of, uh, this partial kingdom. And, and on one level, you could, have, you could say we've, things in the chapters before 1 Samuel seem to have gone well. Like we saw last week, God establishing uh, Samuel, this judge over Israel, this leader over Israel. And he's a man who listens to the word of the Lord and the Lord blesses him. And actually, even though there, there's some foolish decisions Israel uh, makes, at the same time, we see uh, in the chapters just before 1 Samuel 8, the Lord God working powerfully to defeat the enemies of Israel. So Israel is, is, is safe. And yet here, the crisis point has come again at the beginning of, uh, of chapter 8. It's come again because Samuel is old. He's old and he's got to, he's got to retire He's handing over his uh, his power and his authority, and he's handing it over to his sons, to two sons particularly. But these sons are not a good; they're not they're not a good fit. They're dishonest. They're dishonest sons. As we look and we hear about these sons, and they uh, they're perverting justice and they're accepting bribes. And so the people of Israel, the elders of Israel, are looking at these these sons of Samuel who are meant to sort of become their leaders and. And it's like, oh, good grief. We don't want them to lead us. And particularly, if you know the history of Samuel, there's, it's, a, it's a history of godly men having disobedient sons leading to despair. And so we have the, the, the people are looking at these sons. We're like, we don't want them to become our leaders. And, and Israel is in this uh, geopolitical sort of situation where they're actually surrounded by lots of people who, or lots of nations who aren't particularly their friends and uh, have sort of got it, got it, got it out for them. And so we, we have Israel in this situation where they're, not, they're surrounded by enemies. They've got these people who are going to be their leaders, and yet they're dishonest and corrupt. And so they're in this, this moment of crisis has come yet again. And thus, so what are they going to do then? That's the question. What are they going to do? What are they going to pray? What are they going to ask for in this moment of crisis? Well, they ask for a king. They come to Samuel and say, give us a king. We want a king. Like all the other nations, we want a king just like them. We want a king. And what does the Lord God think about this prayer? Think about this request? Think about this asking for, for a king? Well we'll, well, we'll read the Lord God's response in a moment. But it, it's important to, to comment that it's not actually wrong for at this point for Israel to be asking for a king. It's not wrong for Israel to be asking for a king. They're being ruled by these judges. It's not wrong for Israel to ask for a king because in Deuteronomy 17, it's already been established that a king is going to come. Actually, within, within God's law, within God's system, plans, a king has been foretold. They are waiting for a king to come. So it's not wrong for them to ask for a king. But still, the Lord God is not happy. And look down with me at verse verse 7. Let's see what the lord god has to say to this request for a king verse 7 this is the lord speaking to samuel and the lord told him listen to all that the people are saying to you it is not you they have rejected as their king but me it's not you they have rejected as their king but me the lord's not he's not happy with this request and why is he why is he unhappy with this request He's asking for a king is meant to be a, a good thing from Deuteronomy 17, an expected thing. Why does the Lord God, why is he unhappy with this request? And I think he's unhappy with this request because the people, they're asking for a ruler, they're asking for a king, but they're not asking for God's king. They're not asking for God's king. Instead, they want a king which will make them like all the other nations. But Israel is meant to be distinct from all the other nations. The Lord God has, with a mighty hand, saved his people from slavery in Egypt and brought them into Canaan, and he's saved them for a glorious purpose, to be a kingdom of priests, to be a blessing to the the nations around them. They're meant to be distinct, they're meant to be holy and pure, and yet here we have them requesting that actually they want to assimilate, they want to become like all the nations which are around them. And so I think that's why, why the Lord God isn't happy with this, because in asking to assimilate, to become like all the nations around them, they're rejecting, they're pushing him, pushing him away. They're pushing him away. They, they could have asked for a covenant king, they could have asked for the Lord's king, but instead they asked for a king just like everyone else. And if they asked for that, that Lord's king, that distinctive king, a king who would rule this kingdom of priests, and this king who would be this blessing to everyone else, then we don't know the answer, because... We're not told, but the, the assumed answer would have been that would have been the right thing to have done and to have asked for. But actually, in their request, in what they pray for, they're actually rejecting. They're rejecting the Lord. And then they get a choice. So it is laid before them a choice. Because the Lord, unsurprisingly, listens uh, to his people, but rather surprisingly, instead of just pouring judgment on a rebellious people, he sort of tells Samuel um, to listen to them and to, to lay out what's going to happen, what's going to happen if they go down this route. And look down with me at verse, at verse 10, because we, um, we have here the words of Samuel to the people telling them what will happen if they choose a king like the other nations, if that's what they go for, verse 10. And as I'm reading through this bit, what's, what, there's a repeated phrase. What repeated phrase do we hear again and again? So from verse 10, what repeated phrase do we hear again and again? Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to his commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties, and others he will plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. He will take a tenth of your grain and of your vintage and will give it to his officials and his attendants, your men servants and maid servants, and the best of your cattle and the donkeys. He will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks, and you yourselves will become his slaves." What's that repeated phrase which we hear again and again? He will take, he will take. These sons who you cherish and you love, he will take them to be his army. These daughters who you cherish and who you love, he will take them to be his his bakers and his perfumers. That land you've worked hard on, he will take it and he'll give it to his friends. He will take your, your 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 servants. He will take your food. This image of the king, which the people are asking for, it is, the, it is this selfish image of a king who takes. Who takes and who takes and who takes. And God says, if you want this, he will, he will grant it to them. He will, he will give it to them, if that's what they want. And so what, what do they say? What was what, 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 their response to this? To this king, you, you hear about this This king is going to take, 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 take. What do you do? Well, you feel the natural response is, run! <laughs> Get out of here as quickly as you possibly can. No! Run away. And what do they say? What do they say? Well, verse 19, are we going to hear a running away? Are we going to hear a no, thank you? Verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us, then we shall be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Even after hearing this warning, even after being giving a faithful picture of what this king will be like, they say, no, I just want to be like everybody else. I want to be like all these other nations around us. We want we want a king like they've got a king. And after, after receiving this warning, and after the people saying no to it, the Lord God gives it to them. And he says, hey, fine, if that's what you want, I'll give you a king just like all the other nations. And it does make us ask that question, well, why does the Lord God do this? Why, like, if he knows how bad this is going to be for his people, why does he do this? Why does he give them that, that king? And, and like we sort of seen from Deuteronomy seventeen, that a king is expected. There's nothing wrong. I think there's nothing wrong with the request for a king. I think it's the motivation behind that request which seems to be the problem. And actually, sometimes God gives His people exactly what they want, just so that they learn that this isn't actually what they need. And actually, like a king is part of God's plan. In Genesis chapter three, verse. 16 i believe Well, I might have got that wrong but we see the lord god when uh, he tells eve that from her line an offspring will come who will crush the serpent's head we we are expecting a, a serpent crusher from the very beginning of genesis and we see in deuteronomy that a king's expected and we know from reading the rest of the bible that we get david and we get solomon and we get king jesus we know that that a king is a Is actually part of God's salvation plan. And it seems to be that the Lord God, he will fulfill his promises no matter what. And he will use human selfishness and human greed and human foolishness to achieve them. He'll use even our own sin and wickedness and rejecting him to achieve his promises. He will achieve what that which he has set out for. And so... As we just reflect on 1 Samuel 8, well, what's the the main point of this this chapter? And as I was reflecting on it this week, I think the main point of the chapter um, is you've got to ask for God's king. Ask for God's king. There's nothing wrong with wanting a king. Deuteronomy 19 establishes that a monarchy will happen. But you've got to ask for God's king in his timing and in his way. And actually, there's something deeply problematic with asking for a king just like all the other nations when the people of God are called to be distinct and called to be holy and called to be set apart. There's something deeply problematic by wanting just to assimilate and just to be like everybody else. No, you've got to ask for God's king in his timing and in his way. And it makes us ask the question, well, why would we want to ask for God's king? in his timing in his way. Why would we want to do that? If everyone else has got this other king, which leads them in their armies and their battles, well, why would the people of God want to wait for, for God's king? Well, human kings take. They take the sons and they take the daughters and they take the grain and they take the servants and they take the property. They take. They take and they take and they take. But God's king, he will give. God's king gives. Now, as we will see over the coming weeks in 1 Samuel, we'll see some, uh, some of the kings which will soon emerge. And some of them are good kings. David and Solomon, they're good kings. And in some ways, they foreshadow and they point. And they always foreshadow and they point because, as we know with Solomon and with David, they're good kings, but they're fallen. They're good kings who, who give, but they also take. We think of David, who's like the greatest king of Israel's history, a wonderful king in many ways. He defends his people again and again. And yet, when he saw Bathsheba bathing, he wanted this other man's wife. He took her. And when he had her, he then had that that, that man killed. He took what he wanted. But God's king will give. And every, every Old Testament king just points forward to that better king who will actually be perfect and good and generous. That better king who will give and who will give and who will give. God's king gives. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In Luke chapter 22, when Jesus establishes the the Lord's Supper. He gives them the bread, and he gives them the wine. And what is his famous words that he uses as he breaks the bread and gives it to them? This is my body, which is given for you. Or we read in, in Mark chapter 11, words which have warmed my heart many times. Mark chapter 11, verse verse 28. I got that right? Mark 10, sorry. Mark 10, verse 28. I'm getting crazy. 45. Thank you, Tom. This is why you have a boss. <laughs> Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for many, again and again and again he gives. And uh, in words just before this, um, Peter is having a conversation with Jesus, and uh, Peter uses his words in verse 28, we have left everything to follow you. Peter is reflecting on him and his fellow disciples. We've left everything to follow Jesus. And what does Jesus then say to him? Verse 29. I tell you the truth, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mothers or fathers or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive, to be given a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and fields and with them persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. Human kings, kings like other nations, they take and they take and they take and they take and they take. Only Lord Jesus gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. He gives rest and he gives his body, and he serves, and he provides, and he gives eternal life to all who will come to him and rest in him. Human kings take and take and take and take, but God's king, he gives. What does this mean for us today as we're sitting here, here in Sikup, thousands of years after this story uh, occurred? Well, I think what this means for us today is ask for King Jesus. Ask for God's King. And for different people in different situations, that's going to look and feel very different. For someone who has never asked for God's King and never asked for King Jesus, it is a a reaching out to his outstretched hand and accepting him as Lord and as Savior and accepting the life which comes from him. But for us who have been walking this road for, for, for many years, for us who have been, been living for the Lord Jesus for many years, I think in asking for, for God's king, in asking for King Jesus, we're asking for, for Jesus' rule over our life. And actually, we, we like the people of Israel, we come to times of crisis again and again. Financial crisis, spiritual crisis, relational crisis. We come to these times again and again. We will be praying in these times, but what are we going to be praying for? What are we going to be praying for? Are we going to pray in this time of crisis that the Lord Jesus Christ will will reign and will rule over it? Or are we going to be praying for for a prayer which will actually sound like a prayer anyone else in society might ask for? Take just, just one example. We could work this through in a thousand different examples, but let's just take one. Maybe you say you've had an argument, maybe with someone you love or someone at at work. Let's take that example. you had an argument with someone at work. Now, what could someone who's had a big fight with someone at work, what might someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus be be asking for praying for in in that situation? What might their their heart's desire be in, in that situation? Well, it might be for this person they just had this big fight for, it might be that that person would just be crushed. <laughs> if I know there's anything like my heart and my desires, when I have an argument with someone, I want them to lose. And I want everybody else in my friendship circle and in my work group to know that that person is a loser. And that person was wrong and I was right. That, that might be a, a, a request that we want. And we might ask for that or we might even gossip among ourselves and our work colleagues trying to enforce that and enable that to, to happen. We might, we might be thinking okay in that argument the next time we have it what can be that 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 slam down comment that I give so that person is is over and out and done with and finished but but when we instead think okay not am I going to pray but what am I going to pray and I'm praying in this situation in this conflict for the for the Lord Jesus to reign here well as soon as I pray may the Lord Jesus reign here my my attitude and my desires are forced to change because the Lord Jesus Christ always wants us to care for the other person and to, to love the other person even when we're in conflict with them. Even when we think that they're in the wrong, we're still called to, 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 to love them and to serve them. And actually, so that's, that should be our prayer. Father God, I'm with this person. They're driving me up the wall. And if you think, by the way, I'm talking about a current work situation, me and Tom get on fine. But, <laughs> I just want to clarify that. But if, you, if you're in that situation, you're like, this person is driving me up the wall. But the prayer then is, Father God, help me to love them. Help me to serve them. Help me to be Jesus Christ to them in thought and word and deed and actions. Help me to be Jesus to this, to this person. Again again, Father God, may your son reign and rule in this. And actually, the Lord God cares far less about how many arguments we win and cares far more about what sort of people we are. Are we humble people? Are we people who are dependent upon him? Are we generous people? Are we kind people? And actually that's what it means to step under his, his, his lordship of Jesus Christ. Let that humility reign and rule and push into every element. Now that's just me working through one example. But for, for different areas of crisis, this is obviously going to look and feel uh, different. So maybe, maybe the next step is to think through, okay... Lord Jesus, this is my area of crisis. How will you please reign and rule here? And as you reign and rule here, will you please help me to be your servant here? And and maybe I'm going to talk with other people about what it looks like to serve the Lord Jesus in this place. Maybe we're going to ask the the Lord, please just let your Holy Spirit fill me and lead me, lead my words, lead my thoughts, lead my actions, so that I can love and so that I I can serve. Maybe it's about just daily, every time that that angry thought about that person, whatever the situation is, comes up in your head. Just be like, okay, Father God, forgive me for my anger and just bless this person. Bless this person. Bless this person. I don't know what the next step is to do. But maybe those are some options about what might be right. Because the Lord God, he's the king we want to be under. He's the king who gives and who gives. And he gives. And actually the world he's building is the best world. The kingdom Jesus is building is the best kingdom. And this is the kingdom we want to inhabit. And this is the kingdom we want to create. And this is the kingdom we want to invite everyone into. Let's just spend a moment um, just meditating on God's word. Then I'll close in prayer. oh, dearest God, King of kings and and Lord of lords, forgive us those um, times when we don't want you to be the king of our lives and actually we want to look and feel and sound like everybody else. Please, Father God, when the stress comes, when the crises of life come, when we feel heavy under it, help us individually, help us collectively, help us as a nation to cry out for the rule of King Jesus. And may your son rule here, Father God. May he rule in this nation. May he rule in us as a church. May he rule in us individually. May we experience his rest. May we experience his life. May we experience the joy of following him. And may we be the people you call us to be in every situation. And may we build the kingdom you call us to build so that more people might know about you, more people might know you, so that everyone who is part of this family might be grateful and thankful that they are a Christian. Bless us, Father God, in the name of Jesus. Amen.